All right, hey, from wherever you're watching from today, we're in part three of a series called Bold. So on the count of three, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching, would you say bold with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three, bold. That's right, we're in a series called Bold because we know this is a time in our culture where we need a lot of bold, but we don't want to look dumb. We want to be bold in the right ways. We want to be bold where we say what needs to be said, we do what needs to be done, regardless of if it's easy, regardless of if it's really difficult. We want to be bold in the right way, and we want to be bold built on the right foundation. So we've been talking about how to do that, and we've been looking at the example of the early church to see what made them bold. Because if there's one thing the early church was known for, it was their boldness. That we, from the very beginning, we've said that the only foundation for bold living is the resurrection. That the resurrection is the only lasting foundation for bold living. That what changed Peter and what changed the early church and what changed everyone from the moment that Jesus died on the cross to, the, to 40 days later and 50 days later when they were preaching the gospel to crowds and crowds of people was that they saw their best friend and that they saw their savior die on a cross and then they ate breakfast with him on the beach. And when someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you go with whatever they say and you go with whatever they told you to do. And Jesus had told them to be bold followers of him and they lived it out. And so we're looking at their example of how to be bold and how to be bold in that culture and how to be bold in this culture. And last week, we looked at the idea that if we really want to change the world, we have to start with reaching the one. And so last week where we left off was at the, was at the end of Acts chapter 3 where a miracle had been performed for a lame man, where Peter and John had walked into the temple, had walked in for a time of prayer, and little did they know that they were going to actually end up healing a man in the name of Jesus, that this man had lived his entire life broken, had lived his entire life lame, had lived his entire life paralyzed. And in a moment, because of the power that came with the resurrected Jesus, this man's life was changed forever. And you would think that everybody, everybody would be excited by this news, that everyone who watched and everyone who saw it would be incredibly ecstatic that this man had been healed. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And so today, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to see what happened when some religious people found out that a man had been healed and changed by an encounter with Jesus. So Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them, because they were annoyed. Would you say the word annoyed? Annoyed. They were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming it in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They weren't breaking any law. They weren't breaking any temple law. They weren't doing anything wrong. The religious leaders were simply annoyed that they had not gotten their way. They thought they had snuffed out this entire thing when they put Jesus on the cross, and little did they know that they were actually fulfilling the plan of God and that things were just getting started. Here's where the story goes from there. In verse 3, it says, So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So on the first day of the church, 3,000 people become believers in the resurrected Jesus. And on this day, the number reaches 5,000. 2,000 more people believed in the resurrected Jesus because of this miracle that just took place before their eyes. And the religious leaders were so upset with it that they had Peter and John arrested. 
and thrown in prison. And so while you would think that everyone would be excited about this event that just happened before their very eyes, and everyone would be celebrating, and everyone would be thinking, tonight's going to be a good night for Peter and John, it was not going to be a very good night. They were about to spend the night in religious jail. And some of you, you've been in religious jail before, metaphorically, not physically, hopefully, but metaphorically, you've been in religious jail before, and you know it's not a very fun place to be. And Peter and John were about to spend the night there. Verse 5 goes on to tell us this, The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? They got the question. They got the question that they were waiting for. They got the question that every time they got the question, every time someone wondered something, every time someone asked, asked the question, they were ready with the answer. And so we're told in verse 8 that then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. Once again, we get Peter's single sermon. Jesus came from God. You killed him. And in this moment, when he says, you killed him, he's literally talking to the councilmen and the council people that actually were behind the plot that put Jesus on the cross. They were behind the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter says, Jesus came from God. You killed him but you didn't win. And that's what you're ultimately upset about because that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus dying on the cross was not the end of the story. The resurrection began a whole new story and you're ticked off about it. But I'm telling you what, Jesus came from God. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead and new life and healing for this man is found in Jesus. And that's Peter's answer. And that's what Peter is saying every, every chance he gets. Jesus came from God. You killed him. God raised him. And new life and healing and wholeness and freedom and peace and life is found in him. And what Peter was about to say next should have sent chills down their spine. Here's what Peter said next. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This is as clear as Peter gets in the entire book of Acts to saying that what Jesus did and who Jesus is, is the beginning and the foundation of something brand new. Jesus is not the add-on to an old religious system. Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone and the building block on which this entire new thing is going to rest. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. His resurrection, not just what he taught, not the miracles that he did, but his resurrection is the foundation. For those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, that's the foundation. That's why this is the foundation for bold living. Because from the very beginning, Peter and John and countless other Jesus followers went to their graves 
proclaiming what they saw and what they heard. Not something they believed in, not something that they had hoped for, but something they had seen and heard. And they were incredibly bold because of it. This wasn't the the add-on to something old. This was the beginning and the foundation piece for something brand new. And then what he said was so beautiful in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And for you, as you watch online today, whether you've been a part of church or or not in the last couple of years, whether you've kind of walked away from God or not, or whether you find yourself just tuning back in to God type things for the first time in a long time, let me just say to you today, that's still true today. There is no other name. There is no other name by which we can be saved, and there is no other name by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to salvation. And if you think that sounds exclusive, I know it's exclusive, but here's why Jesus is the only way to salvation. No one else died for your sins and rose from the dead. No one else overcame temptation. No one else overcame sin. No one else overcame the grave. No one else overcame the cross. No one else overcame everything that every single one of us faces and lived perfectly, died a death that he didn't deserve to die, and rose from the dead so that we could have a connection to our Heavenly Father. That's why the good news is so good. Jesus did all of that for you. Jesus did what no one else has done, and Jesus Jesus did what no one else can do for you. He provided the way for a connection between you and your heavenly Father. And so if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the way to salvation, let me just encourage you today. Today can be your day. This could be your moment to put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for a new life that can only be found in Him. The story goes on. In verse 13, it tells us this, when they observed the boldness, the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Here's what this verse tells us. They noticed that these guys were bold, but they also noticed they didn't really have many reasons to be bold. They were untrained. They were uneducated. None of them came from important families. None of them came from wealth. They didn't have any reason to be bold except that they had spent time with Jesus. As For those of us who are Jesus followers, this should actually be part of our marching orders. That wherever we go, wherever we do, our boldness should not come from anything in ourselves. Our boldness should not come from where we were trained or where we went to school or who we married or who our parents were or any of that stuff. Our boldness comes from spending time with Jesus. And so I've said it before, but what if, what if, what if, what if we could be the people that people wanted to hire Christians because, man, those Christians have the absolute best work ethic. It's as if they're working for God, not for me. They work for someone else. They do the best work. And what if we were the best followers on social media in the middle of a crazy time right now? What if our timelines and our stories were filled with encouragement and hope and life and that there is a tomorrow and there is an end beyond everything that we're experiencing right now? What if Jesus followers were simply the a, a, a way above everyone else? See, what I know and what you know is that Jesus has this way of leveling the playing field. 
Jesus has a way of leveling the playing field, not by bringing anyone else down, but by raising his people up, by raising the level of our work ethic, by raising the level of our creativity, by raising the level of our, of our ability to do whatever it is that we've been called and asked to do, that Jesus fills us with the supernatural ability to do what we cannot do, to see what we can't see, to discern ways that things should work and that things should go where other people don't seem to have a clue of what should happen. What if that was the defining marks of Jesus' followers? even in a time like right now? And what if, as men and women who follow Jesus, what if we could be the bold men and women in our jobs, in our careers, in our homes, in our schools, in our marketplaces, wherever you go, what if you could be people right now marked by boldness and that everyone knew your boldness did not come from you and it didn't come from where you came from. It simply came from the fact that you spent time and that you know Jesus. So the story goes on. Verse 14 tells us this, and since they saw the men who since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, "What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it." But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Now, don't you love that this was actually a plan that was said out loud? Hey, guys, we can't deny what just happened. We can't deny what everyone just said. And by the way, we tried that with the resurrection of Jesus, and it is not going so well. We tried to tell people, no, 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 someone else took his body. It didn't actually raise from the dead. Well, then where'd they take it? Well, we don't know. So what's the plan here? Well, we can't deny it. It hasn't worked with the resurrection of Jesus, and it certainly won't work when you've got a man who was lame and everyone recognizes, and now he's leaping and dancing and praising God because he was healed in the name of Jesus. So what's the plan? I imagine Bob raises his hand in the back, and Bob's like, well, what if, what if we just um, tell them to stop? What if, what if we just threaten them a little bit, and we tell them, hey, we can't deny what you've done, but you better not do it again. What if we tell them, hey, stop preaching and stop healing people in the name of Jesus. We're sick of all these people getting well. We're sick of all these people who used to not be able to walk. We're sick of them walking. So let's threaten these guys and tell them to stop. Yeah, all right, Bob, that's a good plan. Let's go with that one. Good, good plan, Bob. Good job, good job, good job. So that's the plan that they go with. And in verse 18, it tells us what happened. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here's what I love. Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. And then they say, for we are unable. Would you say the word unable? Unable. We are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, if I could address something here. For some of you watching, you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. That verse seems to say we should never stop talking, we should never, never stop meeting. And doesn't it feel like the fact that we're all sitting at home and we're all sitting and watching online something right now, doesn't that mean we've kind of stopped talking about Jesus? Does that mean that we are actually able to stop proclaiming the good news? And here's what I want to say to you today. The good news of Jesus is that he died and that he rose again and that new life is found in him. And the church has never been about just one method. It's always been about a mission. And the mission has always been to, to proclaim the good news to everyone, everywhere, for all of time, because that's who, who Jesus came to die for. 
And so right now, the method is changing a little bit. We are not able to meet face-to-face -face as we would love to be able to do, but the method can change. The mission does not. And right now, we are still on mission. We're still proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We're still gathering even in digital spaces, even while we can't gather in physical spaces. We are gathering together and we're proclaiming the good news. And if you're willing to see it right now, one of the cool opportunities that we have is right now, we don't have walls that actually keep people out. We're proclaiming the gospel right now in living rooms and in bedrooms while people are in pajamas. And there are no obstacles except someone being willing to get on YouTube or to get on Facebook where you're, get, where you're gathering, where you're joining with us right now. The method might change, but the mission is still the same and the mission is still moving forward. And that's good news. So in verse 21, it says this, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man that was over 40 years old. Again, there's no way to punish these guys. There's no way to take them out and beat them. There's no way to whip them. There's no way to put them on trial. They had done some, nothing wrong. They had done something so good, so good. So there's no way to punish these guys. And I love that Luke waits to throw in this detail this guy was 40 years old. He's going, I'm a man. I'm 40. This man was 40 years old. He had lived his entire life one way. And because of a momentary interaction with a Jesus follower, his entire forever was changed. And that's good news. For someone listening today, no matter how long you've lived without Jesus, a moment with Jesus can change you forever. So, they're let go. They're sent home from the temple. They're told not to do this again. They're told not to say, speak in the name of Jesus again. And so what do they do? I would imagine if this is 2020, what they would do is they would jump on Facebook and they would start talking about how unfair people were being to them. They would start calling the religious leaders haters. They would start talking about how everything was, you know, everything was wrong with the world and things were not fair and they couldn't proclaim the name of Jesus the way that they wanted to. And the early church's response to this was so much better than our response today. We have a lot to learn from the early church. Here's what it tells us in verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they go back to the church. They go back to the congregation. They go back to the gathering and they say, guys, here's what happened. We did a miracle. It was amazing. We didn't think it could happen, but I mean, we healed a guy in Jesus's name and it was unbelievable. And he went from sitting on the floor for his entire life to leaping and praising God and holy cow, this was amazing. And this was something that only Jesus can do and only Jesus did. So they report everything that happened and everything that was said to them. And when they heard this, the story tells us, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Then verse 27 says, For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And then here's verse 29. This is something we should never overlook. And this is actually the centerpiece of this entire series. This is why this whole series is called Bold. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, consider their threats, and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. With all 
boldness. Let me read that whole thing again, because this is so important. And now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, consider what's coming against us. Consider their threats. And God, grant that your servants, grant that we would speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Just imagine in the middle of that, in the middle of being threatened by the religious leaders who basically were in charge in those days, they did not pray for an end to their threats. They, they prayed for boldness to speak the word of God and to continue speaking the word of God boldly. They did not pray for their own safety or their own protection. They prayed that God would continue to fill them with boldness, that even in the middle of, of dangerous conditions, they would still continue to preach and spread the message of Jesus and the message of Jesus' resurrection boldly. In other words, in the face of persecution, in the face of trying times, they did not tone it down. They said, God, help us to tone it up and lift it up and raise it up because we are not going to stop talking about what you have done because of what we have seen and heard. And this is just a beautiful reminder right now. A scared world needs a bold, faithful, and loving church. And make no mistake about this. The world before the coronavirus hit without Jesus was scared. It was lost. It was afraid. It looked better. It looked wonderful. Economic news was better, but the world underneath the surface without Jesus was scared before the coronavirus. And after the coronavirus is, is gone, let me tell you this. After the coronavirus is, is gone, the world without Jesus will still be scared. And right now, the world in the middle of the coronavirus the world without Jesus is scared. And in the middle of a scared world, we have an opportunity to pray like they prayed and live like they lived and do the type of things that they did as a, as a church and as a community, as a gathering of Jesus followers who believe that Jesus had died and risen from the dead. We have the opportunity to live bold, to live faithful, and to live loving because a scared, broken, hurting world needs a bold, loving, and faithful church and needs bold followers of Jesus, needs loving followers of Jesus, needs faithful followers of Jesus. The story ends this way. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. They were unified. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. Not some of them, not a select few. It was on all of them. A scared world needs a bold, faithful, and a loving church. And so as we, as we come to the, sort of the end of our time together today, sort of the end of the teaching time today, what I would love to do is I want to talk about four ways I think we can be bold, four ways we can live up to the reputation of the early church. And maybe the church in 2020 could actually resemble and look like and act like and sound like and look like the earliest church. So four things I think we should be bold in. We should boldly give. In the middle of this time, can I tell you what I know and what you're finding out and what you will see over the next few weeks? There will never be a time in your life or in my life where there will be more needs than we will see in our community, in our state, and in our nation, in around the world 
than we will see in the next few weeks and months as it relates to the coronavirus. There will be more people hurting. There will be more people without jobs. There will be more people who feel the weight of what is, of what is happening right now. And in the middle of that, we cannot be people who hear about needs and refuse to meet them. Let's be people who, can, who boldly give, boldly, boldly give knowing that we may not receive anything return, but we can boldly give knowing that God provides everything that we will need. And so we can give and we can give and we can give till it hurts knowing that God will supply every need that we, that we will ever have. We can be bold givers. So let's boldly give. The second thing that I would say that we can do right now is we can boldly serve. We can boldly serve. So we, can, we, we, we hear a need, and sometimes we can meet that financially, or sometimes we can meet that with toilet paper, or sometimes we can meet that with bottled water, or sometimes we can meet that with diapers, or sometimes we can meet that in all kinds of different ways. But sometimes it's not the actual physical giving of something. Sometimes it means that it's going to require our time, or it's going to require some effort on our part, or it's going to require a relationship where this person might be kind of difficult for us to be, to be around and might be an extra grace-required person, but I want to be a person that boldly serves. And I want to pastor a church that boldly serves. So let's find a need and meet it. My good friend Alex Rodriguez told me this definition of what love looks like a couple years ago. He said, love is finding a need and meeting it. What if we were known as Jesus followers in 2020, in the middle of Las Cruces, in the middle of everything that's going on, as people, when we hear a need, we don't sit on the need. We get active and we do something about it. And we're willing to serve anyone, anytime, anywhere, any place for any reason, because that's what Jesus did for us. He served us, so we're willing to serve anyone. Let's boldly serve. Number three is I think we can boldly encourage. We can boldly encourage. And when I say boldly encourage, what I really would love to encourage you to do is I want you to find a way to be a dealer of hope. Find a, a way to be a person where the first hope is always free and the second hope is always free and the third hope is always free. That everything that comes from us is encouragement and hope and life and there is a tomorrow. And so one of the things when I think of this is every, every time I take a couple through pre-marriage counseling, we talk about resilience. We talk about the fact that there are things that come our way in life that we can't control and we didn't expect and we didn't predict, but we still have a role and we still have a decision for how we will respond. That we don't have to respond the way everyone else would respond. We can respond different and we can respond better. And so I teach every couple that comes through pre-marriage counseling, I teach them a phrase that I call the resilience phrase. And the resilience phrase is a phrase that reminds us that we're together, reminds us that we can accomplish things together, and reminds us that there is still better ahead if we work together. And so here's what the resilience phrase is. You can put your own family's name in, in the blank where I'm going to put my family's name, but we're the Weisses. And so for us, this phrase looks like this. We're the Weisses. We get through stuff like this. And so, yeah, we weren't expecting that expense and we weren't expecting to have to put new, car, new tires on the car and we weren't expecting that expense and we weren't expecting that expense and all these bills crept up that we weren't expecting. But you know what? We're Weisses and we get through stuff like that. And yeah, we weren't expecting to lose that source of income and we weren't expecting to get laid off and we weren't expecting to lose that job. But you know what? We're Weisses and we get through stuff like this. And you know what? We weren't expecting that medical complication and we don't even know what it means yet. And we're a little bit scared and we're a lot intimidated and we're a little bit afraid of what it means. But at the end of the day, we know, you know what? We're Weisses and we get through stuff like this. And here's why I think this is so important in the middle of a time like this. We're Jesus followers. 
We're Jesus followers. We have a collective identity. We know that God has more than, we, than what we're seeing right now. And so I would love to, for us to just remember in the middle of this time, and I would love for this to fill social media this week. We're Jesus followers. We get through stuff like this. We're Jesus followers. We get through stuff like this. Matter of fact, would you say this wherever you are, if you're on your couch, if you're on your bed, if you're in the bathtub, wherever you are, if you've got your feet up on the couch, if you've got your feet up on your dog, would you say this with me on the count of three already? One, two, three. We're Jesus followers. We get through stuff like this. We do. And so we're Jesus followers. God will see us through. We're Jesus followers. God always provides for his people. We're Jesus followers. God is in control and he has a plan and a purpose even in a time that we didn't expect and we didn't predict and we can't control. God is still in control and we're Jesus followers and God sees us through stuff like this. And if I could encourage you to do one final thing, it would be to boldly pray. See, Jesus changes everything. And as Jesus followers, can I just say this? We either believe that or we don't. And if we really believe that Jesus changes everything, why wouldn't we pray like Jesus changes everything? So let's be bold men and women of prayer. Let's pray that in this time, God would give us unprecedented ability to influence people and lead people to Jesus. Let's pray that God would give us direction and God would help us to see ways that we can connect with people that we haven't even thought of. Let's pray that God would give us unprecedented wisdom to know how to move forward and how to lead people to Jesus even in this difficult moment. Let's pray that God would use everything that we have and anything that we have so that we could boldly speak and boldly tell and boldly share the good news that Jesus came from God, that we all have a part where, that we all have a responsibility where we were part of why Jesus died on the cross. But God raised him. And it's the beginning of a brand new story 2,000 years ago. And it's the beginning of a brand new story of hope and life and freedom and peace and joy today. And so here's the thing. As we close today, there's three questions that I would maybe give you for personal reflection. The first one is this. How is God asking me to be bold today? Maybe it's through kindness. Maybe it's through service. Maybe it's through generosity. I don't know what it looks like for you, but chances are you know what it looks like for you. And maybe it's time to take out some paper and write it down. The second one is this. How can I be a dealer of hope today? If you have a social media account, that's a good place to start. If you have some relationships where you can get together in groups of 10 or less, and you can, you can spread some encouragement, and you can spread some hope, and you can speak some life, that's a great place to start. I don't know where it starts for you, but you do. And so to spend some time thinking about that. And the third question is this. What bold prayer do I need to start praying today? See, here's what I know. The resurrection changed Jesus' followers. It made them bold. And it's still making Jesus' followers bold today. And if we'll let the resurrection be the foundation of our bold living, it can still change the world through us today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for the example of the early church. Thank you that these stories and these actions and their prayers were recorded and written down so that thousands of years later we could be inspired and we could have an example to follow. God, help us to put our trust in the resurrection of Jesus as the foundation for our boldness. And God, in a, in a time like we're facing right now or whenever we're watching this, if, if Whatever, whatever we might be facing in the future. God, help us to be like the early church. Help us to be bold. 
Help us to follow you boldly. Help us to believe in you boldly. Help us to share your good news boldly. Because we really do want to see your good news shared with everyone, everywhere, for all time. Thank you that you made a relationship with you available for everyone, everywhere, for all time. And God, help us to be bold. Help us to pray bold. Help us to serve boldly. Help us to encourage boldly and help us to give boldly so that your work can continue and that your love can be shown and that your love can be known by everyone that we come in contact with. We love you, God. Help us to be bold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.